I was going to go all the way down to verse 32 today, but since we have communion, we're going to break this up and look at the first few verses in Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 25 to 28. When we, when we think about holiness and what it means to live a holy life, uh, sometimes we miss it. We, we just think that holiness is about saying no to sin. And we live thinking the negative things, the things that we don't do. I remember the first time I ever heard this phrase, and it stuck with me. Um, somebody once said, I don't smoke, drink, or chew, and I don't hang around people who do. It's all about what they don't do rather than what they do do. Um, and uh, there's other things uh, like the prayer that somebody prays every morning that they pray, Lord, come, Lord, I come before you, God. And today, so far, I've done everything that's right. I've, uh, I've not uh, grumbled. I've not complained. I've not lost my temper. I've not snapped at anybody. I've not been grumpy. I, I, I haven't done anything that's wrong. But Lord, I'm about to get out of bed here in five minutes. And please, I need you. It's everything about what they don't do. Nothing about what they do do. Holiness when you look at the Bible, holiness is not just about saying no to sin. Holiness is about saying yes to God. We must not only throw our dirty clothes in the hamper. Remember that, kids? When you, during camp and all that, when you come home, throw those dirty clothes in the hamper. And you must put on the clean clothes uh, the new suit as well. Remember, we talked last week, and I love the sanctification process, where to remove our old habits, lay aside the old habits, remove them, and then the second step is what? Renewing our minds, exposing ourselves to the Scriptures, allowing God's Word to change our minds, our attitudes, our hearts, and then as God's Word does that, all of a sudden, now we can replace old habits with godly ones. We can exhibit Christ-likeness. We can exhibit what it means to live for Christ. Now, he's going to talk about some things that we all struggle with. He's going to mention it right through this passage, certain things that everyone in the church struggles with. What I love about this passage, he's going to start off with the, with the negative, and then he's going to talk about the positive, and then he's going to give a biblical reason for the positive. So you're going to see here in the scripture, he's going to say, all right, now you ought not to lie, you ought to speak the truth, but here, here's why. Here's the theological reason why. And then he's going to say, uh, uh, you ought to be angry, but don't sin when you're angry. And here's the theological reason why. And then he's going to talk about how we ought not to rob, we ought not to steal, but here's what we ought to do, do what's good, and here's the theological reason why. So he gives some biblical reasons why we should live the new man. This is a wonderful passage of scripture. Let's Let's go through this together here. We ought to be out with the old, in with the new. How does that happen? Well, the first thing he's going to say is replace lying with truth-telling. Now watch this. Therefore, lay aside falsehood. Now, now here's what's interesting. What is a lie? 
Some people define a lie in different ways. If my watch is wrong and you ask me what time it is and I guide you wrongly or I misguide you or mislead you, I'm not lying to you. My source is bad. A lie is when we know what is right, know what is true, but we intend to deceive somebody. My uh, young niece, one of my nieces, not the Pierce nieces, so you guys are safe here. They're getting a little bit nervous here. They're going to talk about one of them. But one of my Extrema nieces, um, when she was about four or five, was going to class every day, and she would tell her teacher, Mommy's pregnant. Mommy's having a baby. Oh, the baby was born. Oh, I got now another sister, and this is great and all that. So the teacher finally sees my sister-in-law and goes, so has the new baby coming along? She goes, new baby? I don't have a new baby. No, what are you talking about? Your daughter's been coming in here for over a year talking about how oh, the baby, the pregnancy, the baby. The, what do you mean? Every day she was lying. She was deceiving someone. That's a lie. A lie is an intent to deceive. A lie is that half-truth. It's not the whole truth. It's an exaggeration of truth. Here's where lying becomes serious. Notice this here in this verse in Revelation 22, verse 15. When it talks about those who are in heaven, it says this, and those who are in hell or outside of heaven, outside of the dogs, the sorcerers, and I don't mean you, Milo, but outside of the dogs, the sorcerers, the immoral people, the murderers, the idolaters, and look at the last line there. Everyone who what? Loves and practices what? Lying. Now it doesn't mean that everybody goes to hell who lies because we'd all be going to hell. But it does mean that we deserve hell because of our lies. And somebody who is controlled with lying, who cannot tell the truth, who practices and loves deceiving people, the place waiting for them is hell. Right here in the passage. He said, so don't do that. Here's what you ought to do. You ought to speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor. And what he is saying is that we shouldn't be giving fake praise to one another. We shouldn't be exaggerating or lying or misleading. We shouldn't be silent to one another. We have to speak what? Truth to, to, to each other. Here's why we are members of one another. We are the family of God. Here's the place where we ought to come where people are going to speak the truth to us. Not flatter us. Not tell us what we want to hear. But tell us what is true. And sometimes that is hard. I'm thankful that I'm married to a, 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 a wife that tells me what is true. I don't like it a lot, but she doesn't flatter me and say, oh, Jeremy, you're this, the best of it. She tells me what is true. <laughs> As an unsafe person, I lied a lot. And I remember one time uh, we were at my stepfather's house and we had to get something in the attic and his nice new car was in the garage. And me and my football friend at the time, who was like six-something, 200-something pounds, all muscle, I said, how are we going to get up there? There's no ladder. The car's in the way. Why don't we just step on the hood? You know what's coming. <laughs> we stepped on the hood. <laughs> Dent in the hood. Who did it? I don't know. 
I don't know. I got around it with a lie. I don't know who did it. My mother, unsaved, when she was asked who did it, I don't know. She got around it with a lie. I get saved. You know what my stepfather does? He, he corners me. He goes like this. Now you're a believer. Tell me the truth. What happened to my car? <laughs> it's a come to Jesus moment, isn't it? <laughs> I said, well, it was me and my friend. We went in there. I told him the truth. You know what Paul's saying? Now you're a believer. Speak truth. Don't be going around lying. Don't talk half-truths. Don't speak truth to one another. Speak truth about each other. We ought to come here. And it may be times when we say, what do we do? You know, we're a family of God. This is the place where we speak the truth. And we have to say what is true to one another. And it may hurt. The truth hurts. But speak the truth. Now, I love this next one because we all struggle with this one, huh? And one of my friends, this is his life verse, by the way. Look at what it says. Be angry. Get mad. How many of you like that one? How many of you struggle with anger? Be mad. Get angry. Get mad. Look what the verse says. It says, get mad. This is great. Be angry. This is his life verse because he lives, he's a madman. I mean, he lives mad all the time. He says, look what the Bible says. You got to be angry. Ah, that's part of the verse. Do you know that uh, you say, what is anger? Let me tell you a little bit about anger here. Anger is this emotional arousal caused by someone or something that displeases us. When a kid acts up, what happens? We get mad. When, when the parent tells the kid they ought not to do something, what does the kid do? They get mad. When the spouse says something to something that they don't like, they get mad. When we're driving our cars and the guy goes through a stop sign or a stoplight or doesn't stop that, we get what? Mad. It's that response that we have. Now we're all different. Here's how we're different. Some people blow up. I kind of like those people because I know what they're feeling. Their face is red, the veins out. They're upset. You know the people that scare me? The ones that clam up. You don't know if they're mad or not. But the pot is boiling. The water is boiling. And it's coming. Believe me. It is coming. But you don't know. I got it mad. You know, someone just cut you off. Did I say something that made you mad? And no response. They just clam up. Are you a clamor or you blow up? You're one or the other. Now, I like the people who blow up because I know they're mad. You're going to be mad because I'm preaching for two hours today. I know you're mad. There's some people, it's amazing. When you preach to them, you can see the responses. They're all that. Other people just, they're just clamming up. They're upset. There's some, some, some people clam up. Some people burn up. They, they boil up. They blow up. Here it is. Here's what he says. He says, three do nots when we get mad. Do not, do not, do not. In this passage, watch this. Get mad. Be mad. Get angry. Use that emotion. It's okay to be mad. But in your anger, three don'ts. Almost looks like donut, but three don'ts. Here you go. Don't do this. Don't sin. Which tells me that there is an anger that's not sin. In fact, in the, in the Old Testament, you would see God often got mad. In the New Testament, Jesus got mad. 
He walked in. He saw people exchanging money in the house. He turned the table. What are you doing? This is not a, this is not a place where you ch exchange money. This is a house of prayer. He's mad. He's upset. You say, that's me. That's how I get mad. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sinful anger. Righteous anger attacks problems, not people. Sinful anger condemns rather than offers help. Sinful anger holds grudges. Sinful anger is about ourselves. Sinful anger. Why did you do that? I knew I was taking a nap. You're an idiot. Sinful anger attacks the person, not the problem. Don't you see the stop sign, you idiot? By the way, you want to come to my church? We have this sinful anger. It condemns rather than offers help. Here's what's interesting about anger. In the Bible, we see even David says, I got this burning anger inside of me because people forsake the law. It should bother us when people are not living for God. It should bother us when their views and their values and everything is against God. That should bother. That is okay. But here's what one guy said. Anybody can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person, to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, and in the right way, that is not within everybody's power and is not easy. Somebody says, Jeremy, I need help here. How do I control my anger? I'm an angry person. Well, he's going to mention right here in this passage how we ought to do it. Watch this. He says here, be angry, do not sin, and here it is. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. What he's saying in this is if our anger lasts more than a day, lasts a day, a week, uh, some people a month, some people a decade, some people a lifetime, something is wrong. With a limit its duration. Or as one person said, the day of anger is the day of reconciliation. Don't let the sun go down. Don't say, I'm going to sleep on this. Because we're going to see in a moment, the moment we say that, we're sleeping with the devil. Don't say, I'm going to sleep on it. Don't say, I'll handle this tomorrow. Don't, don't go to bed at night mad at your spouse. Turn this way and say, I'm not talking to you tomorrow. Don't do that. I tell people the best time to reconcile is at 3 a.m. You know why? Because you agree on anything at 3 a.m. <laughs> Who was wrong? It was me. It was me. Let's go back to bed. <sighs> and we're fine. Don't go to bed. Do you know what's interesting here? That word anger is a different word than the first word anger. This word anger in the second, don't let the sun go down on your anger, means don't hold that grudge. Don't say those harmful words. Don't have those inconsiderate actions. Don't let the sun go down on that. Reconcile right away, he's saying. Limit it. I'm amazed on how many people hold their anger two, three, four months later. And you're like, you're still mad at that? And they hold on to it for years. I'm not talking to so-and-so for what they did. He says the day of anger, the day of reconciliation. And we're going to look at this here. Here's why. Don't give the devil a what? An opportunity. He loves it 
when we hold a grudge. He loves it when we go to bed mad. He loves it when we're inconsiderate in our actions. He loves it when we hold on to our anger. He knows how to flame that and get that fire going. And the next day, it's worse than the day before. Because if I was mad yesterday, I'm really mad today. And if I'm mad today, I'm going to be really mad tomorrow. And if this keeps going on, I'm going to be fuming in a month. Don't mess with me. The devil knows how to flame that fire. We support Dave Dietz. And one of Dave Dietz's uh, ministries is going around to different churches and uh, ministering to them and helping them have a vision and helping them in all this. One of the churches he just recently visited was the church in Sutherland Springs. Anybody hear of that church in Sutherland Springs? Anybody know what happened in that church a couple of years ago in Sutherland Springs, First Baptist Church, where somebody went in and shot all 46 people? And here he is going there to help this. Now the church is 200 people. It's amazing what God is doing. But all 46 that were there on that Sunday got shot. Some of them died, some of them survived. Now the song leader's in a wheelchair leading music because he was one that got shot. Dave Dietz is staying at a family's house and, he, and of course he knew about the shooting and everything and he's trying to help them and all that. And as he's sitting at this family's house, the lady goes, do you know who we are? And he says, yeah, you're the ones that go to church. Do you know who did the shooting? And he's like, uh, yeah, I know the guy's name. Did you know he was our son-in-law? Did you know that we were the targets of the shooting? But we weren't there that Sunday. And then he starts to tell the, they start to tell the story how it started. They got into an argument. They had to kick the son-in-law out. And, and the son-in-law got mad. He wouldn't let him see the new kid. Anger, 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 anger led to him coming to a church and trying to shoot it up. Satan knows how to mess with our anger. He knows how to flame the fire. So he says here, Paul says, don't give the devil an opportunity. Don't, don't get mad. I can't imagine getting mad at my mother-in-law. I, I can't imagine doing that. You know, she's my favorite. And I hope the only one I ever have. I die first, Katie. Katie can get remarried. I'm not worried about that if I'm in heaven. But you're the only one I'll ever have. I can't, I can't imagine getting mad. But he got mad, 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 and shot up, and they weren't even there. You say, Jeremy, I need help with this. Because I get mad. Look at this verse. He's quoting Psalm 4.4. And interesting, in the NASB, it says, Tremble and do not sin. It talks about our anger and do not sin. But notice what it says in Psalm 4.4. It says, Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Do you know, know what the Bible's teaching here? The Bible's teaching this. That when we get angry, when we get upset, even though that person may not ask for forgiveness, even though that person may not get right, we can get right with God in our beds and we can meditate upon that and get right with the Lord. Here's what he's saying here. Settle it in your heart before the Lord. 
Have a time when you're just meditating in your heart and instead of coming back and attacking the person and sinning, instead of coming back and, and holding on to that anger for days like you shouldn't, instead of allowing the devil to have an opportunity, here's what we ought to do. We ought to meditate in our heart, get right with God and let it go. Let it go. And you know what helps us with that and helps me with that? I say this, what can, I, what can anyone ever do to me that I haven't already done against my Lord? And if my Lord can forgive me, I can let it go to them. Be angry. Don't sin. Look at this last thing here. Replace sinful anger with righteous anger. And then the last thing, replace stealing with giving. Watch this. He who steals. Now, this is interesting. He's not talking to the whole church as a group. There's somebody in the church that is, is taking things that they ought not to. And, and here's what he's saying. He's, he's quoting, somebody here is robbing. He's saying like that. Somebody is stealing. He may be pointing to an individual. We don't know what it is. But now it's singular. He who steals. You say, what is that? Well, here's the way people steal nowadays. They borrow something and they don't return. It. Have you ever been there? Oh, hey, can I borrow this book and you don't give it back? That's stealing, by the way. There's, there's another way we can steal. Overcharging someone and, and, and taking advantage of them. We can steal by avoiding taxes. We can, we can steal from God. Here's how. By failing to give time, effort, or resources for the work of the body. A lot of people steal from God. We, there's ways we can steal. Now, now here's what people who steal. It's all about themselves. And when, when money is tight, they try to seek ways to cut corners. He says, don't do that. Here's what you ought to do. Ready for this? Work. Labor. Why work? Why work? Great question. Here's why. It's a gift of God. Some people say work is part of the curse. No, it's not. Work has been affected by the curse. But Adam worked before the curse. It's a gift of God. You want to know what else? Why work? To avoid being a burden on others. Paul says, I work day and night. So I'm not a burden on somebody else. You know why work? Well, we ought to work to provide for our needs. He makes it simple. You work. If you don't work, you don't eat. There it is. But here's one of the most important reasons why God wants us to work. We ought to work to enable us to do what? Give. Look at this verse again. He who steals must not steal no longer, but must labor, performing with his own hands what is good. Here it is. So that he will have something to share with one who has need. Now don't miss this. Because this is what God wants us to do with our money. He wants us to bless others. He wants us to be a blessing to those who have needs. And there are people with needs around us. He doesn't bless us with money so that we can just have all the things that we want. He blesses us so that we can bless others and share. He says to the thief, stop stealing, but change your heart and really think about others that you can bless with your finances. I'll never, I'll never forget the Thanksgiving baskets that we were giving out one year where Grandpa Tom and Grandma Joy put a basket together that put the rest of us to shame. 
The rest of us had these boxes that we had each turkeys in and all this stuff. They had a real basket. I mean, a real nice, beautiful. They put it together. And I, I'll never forget, we go to the door, and um, I, I, a couple of my kids were with me. I forget who was with me. We go to the door, and the guy opens the door, and he is just, wow. And this is where it gets amazing. I said, here we are from Whitefield Community Bible Church. We're here to bless you guys. He said, yeah, we just moved into town. I'm not making it. I have four kids. I'm really hurting. I go, where do you work? He goes, Dunkin' Donuts. I said, Dunkin' Donuts, you know we go there every week. Grandpa Tom loves Dunkin' Donuts. We go there every week for donut time and all that. And uh, really the people that made this basket, that's where we go. We go to Dunkin' Donuts. He goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. You go to Dunkin' Donuts? He goes in there, he grabs these, you guys know this story. He grabs coupons, gives us a thousand free donuts. <laughs> That's God. Here we are blessing this guy with a basket, and we wound up getting blessed back with a thousand free donuts. Next time I'm hoping to run into a car dealer. <laughs> It's just amazing what God will do when your mind is on other people. But yet we get these stimulus checks and all this money and run away, everything on us. Who are we blessing with it? Who are we helping with it? Who are we saying, God, one of the questions that we ask before we make any purchase in our lives, we say this, how can I use this for God and for others? He says, get your focus and share on others. One of the main reasons that God has given us work. Look what Wesley says here. John Wesley says, work as hard as you can. Make as much as you can. And then what? And then give as much as you can. Work as hard as you can. Make as much as you can. But focus on others and give as you can. And share and bless and make others people's days. We just had our, our last game, JV, and uh, Junior Varsity Baseball. And the team was killing us. I don't like to go out that way. We were getting destroyed. But before the game, the coach came up to us and said, Listen, we have a kid on our team that has MS. He has autism. This is his last game he's ever going to play. He said, can you do us a favor? Can you allow him to pitch? And can you allow him to hit and just make his day? And so here comes this kid, and um, we allowed him to pitch. And the coach, the head coach of the JV team told him, hit the ball, told our team, hit the ball. But here gets this big kid up there, and he gets up there, and he, he strikes out. And he comes up to me afterwards. He goes, Coach, I struck out because I really didn't want to hit the ball. I don't know. I didn't want to hurt the kid. And I just wanted to strike out and just make him feel good. I said, you did great. The kid got up to bat. We were excited to see him hit. Our pitcher hit him, beamed him in the arm on accident there. That, wasn't, that didn't go too good. <laughs> but here we are in a game that we lost 14 to 1. But it was the most blessed game we ever had. Because we were able to give a kid a shot. I wish I could have seen the parents, how they reacted. I didn't get to see the parents. But the umpire came up to us afterwards and he said, your team has class, class to do something like that. 
Paul says, give. Give with those in need. Share. You say, why is that important? Well, as we go into communion, let's talk about somebody who gave. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, 